Hello everybody. Welcome to Outrageously Me, a podcast for outcasts and outcasts. This is all of me, your host Ray. In this podcast, we dive deep into what it means to be outrageously you. More importantly, how to lean into the superpower of being you for professional and personal success. Today, I have to have two cups of coffee to match the energy of my guest. Please welcome Rob. Rob is a founder, mentor and coach of Growth Habit where he coaches purpose-driven coaches and he has helped 200 plus coaches and entrepreneurs. He's author of Die Before They Do. I read few pages into this book and I'm completely hooked. We're going to be talking about it in the podcast and he has been featured in Forbes and as an entrepreneur. He's also an ex-DJ and producer which he's going to talk about. Uh, he's a proud father of two people and he's alcohol free for 9 plus years. There's so much to talk here and Rob you've been amazing on LinkedIn. Uh first I want to start with a photo you posted a week ago I think we got two ago with you on the boxing gear. Let's start from there. What what is it all about? <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about that picture is that's AI generated. Although I do ah. do kickboxing and it is something that I started doing actively about 6 months ago. That's an AI generated picture. That was an app I used that generated graduation photos and one of them was me in boxing gear and it's funny cuz I had a couple people connect with me who were into <laughs> boxing and they saw that picture like one person wrote like I love that picture I do kickboxing <laughs> but that was actually AI generated. No oh, that's a thirst trap my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but um I want to start off with your copy writing skills. It's amazing that the first two lines of your every post bang and I think that's what Uh, contributed to the success of what you do um with your clients like content that creates clients because that's exactly what it is right so tell me about where did you learn that kind of copy editing because i looked through your profile it's not in your education it's also not very clear in your career path but you landed up here that's all self study it's all self learned and it's funny because i dropped out of high school i did not go to college or university i have not written many long papers or essays and i actually although i aspired to maybe one day write a book i struggled to believe that i could because i didn't think i was a great writer and you know who am i with my lack of formal education but one of my earlier coaches my my earlier business coaches was a pretty strong copywriter and then i just it's communication it all comes down mm. to communication i think about When I was head of people and culture in tech companies and I was helping the leadership team navigate problems in the organization, it was always communication. It was lack of communication, it was poor communication. I think about in relationships, I've been through a divorce. Communication. The issues in almost every relationship come down to communication. And when it comes to putting your message out there, connecting with people you want to serve and hopefully attracting clients, it's communication and it's words. Even if you're doing video, there's words. So, yeah. um I've spent a bunch of time, I've read a lot of books, I've studied some things online, I've worked with people and it's I spent I love that you called out the first couple lines cuz I I do. I'll I'll write the idea, I'll get it out, but then I'll take minimum an extra 5 minutes, but sometimes an extra 30 minutes on just the first two lines. What am I saying? What's going to make someone read the rest? What's going to capture attention, make people curious? What's going to speak to the people that I know that I really want to work with? So, I put extra effort there. Yeah, I think uh, that's very interesting because I also try really hard to write the first two lines, but I also 
I mean, I want to be proactive, but I also don't want to take away from the message that I'm giving. It's all almost always writing a copy for a headliner on a paper or something, right? You got to go hit this soft spot between um, being really, really bad and being really, really good and still connects the message. So how do you do that balance? There's a famous quote that's talked a lot in the business circles and cooperating circles from David Ogilvy, like a, a marketing advertising godfather of sorts. And essentially he said that once your headline is written, you've already spent 50 cents of your dollar <laughs> and really encouraging people to think that way because it doesn't matter how good the rest is. It doesn't matter what else you include unless those first couple lines are going to make someone stop, go, huh, what is this? I'm curious. And, and click read more, or if it's a video, keep watching your video, or if it's an email, open your email, then it doesn't matter how good the message is inside. So I have that as kind of a loop that's playing. And then there's a few different things that you can do there. One is you can confirm suspicions someone has. Like if I, you know, I should say that everyone should be treated equally regardless of who they love. That to you, that's going to be like, yes, I believe that. That's true. I know that's going to make you open that. The one thing that works really well that I employ probably most regularly is creating an open loop where mm. the reason why we'll continue reading a book or watching a movie, and sometimes even if the movie isn't that good, is that we have unanswered questions. We're like, well, what's mm. going to happen to that person? So yeah. there's an opportunity with your headline to create an open loop, and that's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, so, and you can do surprising or shocking. I don't do that one as much, but... BuzzFeed and places like that online are really damn good where the headline is like, <laughs> what the heck? That's what I was <laughs> Outrageous. What? And you need to... So that one, I, I don't believe in using it, but there's a few of these things that they, they work really well. Uh, and the open loop one is probably the one I use the most frequently. Uh, that's that's pretty good explanation of what you generally do. Um, and also, it's, it's very positive, right? Like you don't try to hit the negative card with people you're a very positive person. You're a smiley person. You you come with this radiant energy. In all that you do, you jump out of the screen every time I look at your post yeah. in LinkedIn. Um, tell me about your personality, which has gotten you to this space where you're completely in tune with your crazy inner self. Mm. <laughs> it's a great question. And I feel very confident in answering it now because it's come up recently. It feels seasonal because I've been chatting with people about this the last few weeks and I I've done a lot of the work. I have gone to therapy. I have examined all the parts of the stuff I hated. I have processed childhood trauma. I have, you know, wow. dealt with the stuff that a lot of people avoid. I had a very difficult relationship with my father where he was gone all the time and I had it very, like it was missing. I, I was chasing his approval. I hated his guts and I was chasing his mm. approval. Uh, yeah. I was molested as a child. Uh, I struggled with alcohol. I almost taken my own life. I, I've like been through lots of difficult and dark things and I've sat with them. I've written about them. I've spoken to professionals about them. I have done a full examination and then that allows me to feel just really comfortable in like who I am. I, I love the person I see when I look in the mirror. So then it makes it very easy for me to just share and show up and share what I'm thinking and feeling because I love this person. So it doesn't matter what anyone thinks or feels, and I'm just going to share myself being myself. 
Wow, that's this is a million dollars right here. We can end the podcast. <laughs> but um, I, what I really liked about is that uh, you like the person you see in the mirror. You love that person, and you have done all this deep work. These the ones that you talked about. They are they are very deep work, and I. There are a lot of check boxes that went, or a lot of list items that went into what you just told me. Um, you know, approval from father, and you know, your father not being present, and your alcohol abuse. You're trying to take your own life, and you being getting molested when you're young. Many of them, I can. I mean, I think all of them, I can check box with you as well. In a way, I understand you. In a way, I can't completely say I understand you because your experiences are yours, and that shapes you as a person. But I think there's a lot of solidarity in what you've underwent mm. to, to what I underwent as well. So I can connect those dots and see that how long and how hard it is to to take ourselves to jump into the boat and say that I like this person, I like this person that I see on the mirror. That that's a lot of hard work. And I think once you get there, you're like you're not letting it go. You're like holding on to it. And you're trying to do everything from the core rather than doing it from the superficial level. You're scuba diving. Uh, you're not snorkeling anymore with yourself. I love all of that. Let's talk about your book for a second because I started this book and um, uh, because I booked your podcast to be very honest and transparent. I wanted to know you more, um, so to to talk about you. Um, this book is your story, eh? Just to be clear. Yeah, it's my story. It's a collection of the stories from my life. I didn't intend my first book to be this kind of a book. I didn't expect it to be a memoir style book. <laughs> but as I shared things online about difficult things that I've been through and things that I learned and, you know, near miss uh, events in my life, I had people that would reach out to me and say like, thank you. This means a lot. Like just the way you were reflecting now, like I, you were saying, you know, I feel like I understand you. Obviously, I, I can't say I know for sure because everyone has their own, but you can connect, you can relate. So anytime I shared some of these stories online, I got the most beautiful messages and the most like mm. human to human messages. And my partner, Melissa, made me realize like, what if you, what if you had a collection of your stories? What if you gathered these mm. all together? And that's what it turned into. And it's, yeah, you, you said the title earlier, Die Before They Do. From selling drugs to lunch with Jim Carrey, stories of uh, struggle, near-death experiences, and creating a life with meaning. And it really is that, like all these different things that I've been, that I've lived through, that I've experienced, that have shaped me where I am now. And the, the feedback I get is overwhelmingly positive, that people find it inspirational, that when they start reading it, they can't put it down. Um, and actually, I'll say this, actually, if I had written the book and no one read it, no one, it was worth every minute because of the learning and growth I got from it, the processing I did with wow. some of my own stuff. And if the only people who read it were my parents, because my parents did read it, worth its money in gold, like because of the depth of conversations I was able to have with them, because of the closeness it brought us for them to truly understand me in a way that they previously didn't. And anyone else getting to read it, it's just a dessert. It's a cherry on top. That's some kind of bonus that... Um, not required, but it's really nice. Uh, this is uh, this goes back to what I believe in. Also, when I write, I write for myself. That's what I tell people. I think that's that's amazing that you that you said that. You know, you you are able to verbalize that very beautifully here. Uh, uh, one thing I want to ask you is that: Did your parents actually read the book after you have written this? They read it cover to cover. Yes. Oh wow! 
Now I'm more interested in what your parents have to say about the book. <laughs> um, but both of it led to like teary eyed conversations. And my mom was just grateful that I'm still here, was sad that I didn't share with her when I was going through my darkest period. And it just, yeah, it, it created an openness with us that didn't exist prior because I, I don't hold back much in the book. I do share quite openly in the book. Uh, and when you share things, and this is a good learning for myself also, because both of us, the content comes from us. Like we don't scout for contents because there's so much to write about by being ourselves. And when you write about yourself, you can get more, more positive comments as well. Sometimes not so positive comments as well. Sometimes personal attacks as well. When you become the content of your own book or your own work, um, how do you take those negative criticism? How do you run with them? Empathy. Someone who is going to say a negative thing to a stranger on the internet is in such a terrible, dark, miserable place and they have suffered and they are suffering. And when you can flip it and see it with empathy, it's because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about them and their own unprocessed traumas and pains and fears. Wow. Empathy. So that's, that's really a starting point, isn't it? Like, when you say empathy, although the comments hurt you, like, you know, in my case, people talk about um, why I shouldn't be a father in the first place, uh, mm -hmm. being gay and not um, not having to adopt people and things like that. So how, how do you address that from empathy when the, when the comment is so directly to you and you're trying to process it yourself as well? It's not to you, though. It's not. And they would say it to someone else. And if it wasn't you that day, it would be someone else that they would be spewing it towards. There's a really great quote that I love from Wayne Dyer. And it is, it's not a quote, actually, it's just like a, an example. It's a story and it's an orange. I don't have any oranges here, but I've got an apple. So we'll pretend this is an orange. If you have an orange and you squeeze it, what comes out? No, I didn't choose whatever is inside. <laughs> orange juice is all that can come out because that's all that's inside. It doesn't matter yeah. who's squeezing it. doesn't matter when it's squeezed. That's all that comes out because that's all that's inside. And with those people, mm -hmm. of course, for you, it feels personal. Of course, it feels like they're attacking you and your family, you and your son, you and your partner. But it's not that because that's all that's inside them. Mm. Right, right, right. Interesting. So you also told me at the beginning of the podcast, as a parent, um, you uh, you are fathering a child who went through this phase of they, them. And uh, let's talk more because this is one thing that's been on the news lately, whether ch children should be allowed to be themselves or whether children are allowed to learn about the different version of themselves. How do you see it? And how difficult was it as a parent for you, for you to navigate that with your child? Mm, it was... Easy. It's something that I knew from the point when they were like three years old. The The evidence was there from a, a young age. And, and like I shared with you that I've been a part of Pride Toronto for 15 years, officially 16 years. I've been performing on stage as part of the events before that. I lived in the neighborhood for half a decade. One of the reasons why I'm alive is that as a teen, I found the rave scene. So instead of being stuck in a small town where the only options were to fight, sell drugs, get into trouble, do illegal things, um, I 
fell in love with music and someone brought me to the city and I ended up in these warehouses where there was young, old, gay, straight, cross-dressed, what is it, like business suit, hippie, like every, every ethnicity, every language. And that felt like a utopia to me. So I've had this really open mind and it just, yeah, with our child, it was just like, yeah, of course, whatever. Like it's just no different. It, it means, it doesn't mean anything. And meaning, and that by then not putting and projecting some big weight or importance on it, yeah. then they don't need to carry the big weight or importance. Wow! And how did you handle the things that came with it, like the the outside things that came with accepting your child as who? Mm, again, like interesting in conversations with them, not projecting any meaning, any weight, just like being an ear, being supportive, allowing them to express themselves however they want to express themselves, and then with my partner talking privately about like, you know this is hard. Maybe we're worried about them and like, but for them just reinforcing, this is normal. You're normal. You're loved no matter what to create. So it doesn't matter what the outside world is saying or reflecting or what things they bump into in our house, in our family, in this bubble, this is normal. They are loved. There's nothing wow. wrong or different here at all. Wow. That's beautiful. And this is interesting for me because you talked about your father and even in the book, you, your father is in military, was in military, right? So uh, you kept moving homes and there was also a different kind of dynamics at home. Uh, and then you going into those different uh, pathways of, you know, drugs and everything. And then you coming back to the scene where you become somebody who is sober for nine plus years or whatever and then you get married you find your partner and then you have your own children and then you become a father so this transition of you trying to gather your father's support and acceptance to you becoming a father who creates this bubble of unconditional love how did this happen like how did you go from there to here hmm. i'm pausing because it'd be very easy for me to get emotional right now and i don't want to fight the emotions either. I just think, and it's, I think there's a comedian that has a line around this and it might be Bill Burr that essentially as a parent, our job, and it's a sports analogy, our job is just to move the ball a little further down the field. Our parents did the best they could with what they had. And then if you ha accept that, that like they did the best they could. And actually it goes back to empathy because I fucking hated my father. Like I, I carried deep, anger and resentment towards him. But then as I got older and I learned more about him and his childhood and what he went through and how his dad beat him and all this different stuff, then if I'm mature enough and willing enough and can lead with empathy, then it's clear that he was that way because that was all he had. That's the best that he knew how mm -hmm. to do. And then I see it as my job to do my own learning, my own reflection to see what my parents did, what I liked and didn't like. And then, okay, so my job is to move it a little further down the field. And definitely one of the reasons why I quit drinking. I did not like who I was as someone who drank. There was moments where it made me a, a terrible father, made me absent, made me miss important moments. And it, um, of all the things that are important to me on this journey in this life, me, my role as a father is probably some of the mo more the most important one, I think, as far as like titles and purposes. So it's with intent, definitely with intent. Uh, that's 
That's beautiful. I'm also pausing a lot because it's getting hard for me not to get emotional with you. <laughs> you bloody Robert. <laughs> um, I think what I love about is that I also carry a lot of anger with my dad and I have never passed up with my dad unlike you um, because he, he abandoned me um, a lot. Like recently I spoke in a college um, here in Ontario, uh, London College, and I spoke about uh, how to be outrageously you, how to dip into your superpowers and everything. There was a conversation about acceptance. And um, when I spoke in the lecture, I said, I don't have a relationship with my father. I chose myself rather than uh, being somebody who wants to please my dad. And then I moved on. Um, but the after Q&A questions, they were all about my relationship with my father. And that put me on a different spotlight. Uh, they said, your father is old, he's going to die soon, why don't you patch it up? And um, it was so much going on. Like, it's not that I've not tried patching up with my dad, but it was it was either me choosing me or choosing the version that he wanted me to be. And I definitely wanted to be me, and if not for anything. Uh, so this, this place of your empathy that I think, it, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, as because you're processed all the anger and then you come to a place where you are finally able to accept things as it is and I think I'm still on the journey uh, what would you like to say to me or anybody who's in this journey like me mm. I want to ask you some questions so like where did your father grow up and what was the environment like where he grew up worse than what I was <laughs> um yeah, he grew up in a tighter environment. He's a priest himself and his dad is a priest. So I think he had a tight rope to walk as well. I think he was not he was not able to be himself fully, I think. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And then what would have been the you talk about the tightrope, so what would have been the, the pressures or expectations of those around him, of his father, of his peers, of what would you know? What would that tightrope include? What would be the, the expectations around him? See, re recently I had this conversation, and I'm going to answer what you asked me. And I thank you for throwing this back at me because it's good to have this conversation. Um, recently, someone spoke about acceptance uh, by parents for their kids, and one of my close friends she said this to me, and this stuck with me: is that it's everything comes down to the caste system and the Indian caste system mm -hmm. and Indian. Um, belief system with respect to religion and caste and what is superior and what is inferior. Um, it's nothing about the love or acceptance towards the child. It's about um, what what kind of uh, importance the person gives for the systematic um, hierarchy or systematic bias that is propagated from long time, be it white or black, be it Indian or non-Indian or be it, you know, um, somebody who speaks a certain language or not, or somebody who looks like a certain color of skin or not. There's a lot of biases that builds into the hierarchy of what we believe to be human in, um, existence. And I think my father was part of that hierarchy and he was a priest, which was considered a higher caste in the society. And he wanted to hold that position. It's not about the pressure as such as being a priest. I think part of it is also he wanting to hold on to the position of power. Um, so he wanted to be spotless. So quite interestingly, Indian mythology has a lot of diverse exp exp experiences and uh, explorations of sexual identities. 
even in the scriptures, even in the God forms, um, quite interestingly, I can tell you this, you would dress up a male God as a female God, because there's a part of the, of the culture of the male God to take avatar of a female God. So that is accepted, but uh, the son wearing a nail polish or wanting to be gay, getting married to another guy is not accepted. So there was a lot of um, differences in the way he thought about uh, what the scriptures and the position he held to what he experienced as a father. My anger and my empathy, where it stops, my empathy where it stops is that at the end of the day, he's supposed to love me. At the end of the day, he's supposed to set an example for, for me as a father. That's abandoning your children. Uh, that's where it stops, that empathy. I can't get past that. So that's where it stops for me. And it makes sense. And I think anyone who would hear you share that and share your story would feel connected to you, would say that makes sense. I understand you. Like, of course, that's all we want from our parents. And then we would say that that's be their primary role. And if you continue with that, you will always be stuck in the little pen that you're stuck in. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Let's let's move gears. Let's talk about <laughs> Burning Man. Let Let's talk about Burning Man Festival. I saw you with the with the beautiful eye uh, makeup, and uh, you were walking around quite yes. happily. You are vagabond. Let's talk about the experience. And I think you, you know, in a way, you are you are this the spirited person, this person who is born free. And I want to dip into this drop spot of that shade. Mm. It's fun. So Burning Man, I've been lucky enough to go three times. I went 2008, 2010, and 2019. So I've been three times. And as far as the free-spirited things that you're saying, yeah, and for me, it very much connected to when I first discovered raves and that underground music scene and that freedom and that freedom of expression and that openness and that you know, the rules not being there thing, uh, except for it's just on such a grandiose scale. And there's people from around the world and there's people who've spent millions of dollars to create some insane art to help you feel things and reconnect with your emotions and just beautiful, beautiful experience. And it was 2019 I went and that was a few months before I quit my full-time job and went all in with coaching. And it really was a turning point. And I went there Oh gosh, how far do I want to go with this? In 2017, 2018, I knew I wanted to make a shift. I knew I wanted to do something like coaching. I didn't have the guts to. I was slowly working my way towards it. The first thing I did though, is I went back to what was familiar. I was like, okay, the day job thing's not working for me. I need to break out of this. I went back to music because I had retired. I wasn't really doing music. I started making music again. 2018, I started playing some shows again. 2019, I started playing uh, a couple big festivals. And I DJed at Burning Man all the times that I went. But then that time I was there, I was like, I, I had this realization that I'm just avoiding the decisions. I'm just avoiding what I know I'm meant to do. I'm just using this as a distraction to keep me safe from making the difficult decisions. So being in, there in 2019, uh, and that's where that video is from of me with the eye makeup and wearing the, you know, it's like a dress, I guess. And the reflections at the end of the week and it, the reflections were really that we collect these labels, these beliefs that other people say to us, that our teachers say to us, that our parents mm -hmm. say to us, that things happen to us as children. And then we start to really internalize them and then they become true. And you have the ability to rewrite that. 
You can change who you're spending time with. You can change what you're reading. You can change what you wear. You can change your beliefs. And with that, you can change who you actually are. Uh, that's fantastic. You're giving me all aha moments today. I think I don't know what you are on. I know you are not on alcohol, but probably <laughs> I should get the get that coffee drip that you're having. <laughs> Uh, talk about content for uh, clients. That's uh, the one that you created. That's a very successful workshop. And I've been seeing your posts that how these workshops look like. They look very electric and people seem mm -hmm. to be having great time. Is it? So this is a question that you've been asked as well and you've answered in LinkedIn as well. Is it all a marketing gimmick or does it produce results? And you showed a lot of screenshot of people having those results. So. Tell me, how did the inception came along? Like, how did you bring this idea that you can transfer this into something uh, where people can written, have written on investment? And how do you translate that within the workshop for the people who are interested in your workshop? Mm. So when I left my job as head of people and culture and went all in as coaching, I was doing habits coaching. I called myself a habit strategist. I was helping people create you know, empowering habits that last. What happened unexpectedly is 11 of my first 12 clients were entrepreneurs. And I didn't expect that. That wasn't my goal. I didn't say like, I am here to work with entrepreneurs. But then I stopped and thought about it. Wait a minute, entrepreneurs, they are rebellious. They want to solve interesting problems. They're marching to the beat of their own drum. They tend to be creative. I was like, oh yeah, these are my people. And then the next switch that happened is I had other coaches and consultants come to me and say, hey, how the hell did you do this? <laughs> how did you go from a, a director level role to a full roster of clients? How are you getting clients overseas? How do you seem to be yeah. getting all this attention on LinkedIn and that's somehow turning into clients? So I was doing calls, just like pick my brain calls with people and answering questions, giving them tips. And then one week there was three of them and two of them asked, how do I have another one of these sessions? How do I have another one of these calls? And I went, and then I made the last switch to which is to what I'm doing now, which is helping purpose-driven coaches and consultants grow their businesses and grow their impact. And it's a big part of it is dialing in your messaging. It goes back to what we we're talking about earlier, that communication is the foundation of it all. And I was able to do this successfully on LinkedIn because I've done this before in other businesses. I've had record mm -hmm. labels. I owned a bath and body shop. We used content. I use content on MySpace and Facebook to get gigs and to get business when I was doing music stuff. With the, the the soap and bath body business, we used Instagram and we used Facebook. And I so I applied all this stuff that I knew about getting a message out and connecting with people when I started showing up on LinkedIn. And that's what led to me having my success out the gate and getting mm. all these clients and mm. people came to ask me. So that's kind of the origin of how I got to do this. And then what it comes down to is like there's my zone of genius is helping someone who is a smaller business. It's a consultant with maybe a part-time employee. It's a coach with maybe mm. a couple of people helping mm. them. It's a, And then there is one person truly is the face of the business. And when that is yes. the case, it really is the people are hiring you. And I can make the mm. argument that if it is in a more corporate setting and it's B2B, there's still mm. a person internally who's like, I trust yeah. this person. I believe this person. I'm going to put my reputation on the line to hire this person. So it's always human to human, but it even more mm. so when it comes to if you're a consultant or a coach. So I've got frameworks and tools that help people 
figure out their messaging, figure out who they're speaking to, get clarity around it, and then know what kind of content to be putting out so that people are interested and enrolling themselves really in what you have to offer. I think that's that's genius because you know you would have had harder times with your. I think you had another company where you were doing these trainings and everything, right? So uh, when you do B two B or when you do corporate to uh, personal trainings, it's always this gap of not having it as one to one. But this conversation of you doing one to one coaching or one to one sessions with the coaches, uh, I think that's great because I think what you're trying to achieve here is a moving the needle of change within people mindset of what this communication should be and how, how far they should go with the communication, what they have to put out there and how the messaging should be and everything. I think you're doing fantastic in terms of uh, changing one person at a time, one coach at a time who is going to create the ripple effect into multiple people. Um, so, but have you ever thought about scaling this to enterprise level to, to companies like com- you want to work with companies on the messaging on a larger platform? A bit. I've entertained a couple of conversations. There's been a couple of times where someone, you know, someone like you has reached out, had a conversation, seemed interested. I felt connected to the person. I felt I could work with them and have actually considered it. But more times than not, I've said no. There's been a couple of times where the opportunities come and I just looked. I was like, this is bureaucratic. This person, I don't care. <laughs> this is my values. This is going to be, I'm going to, they're the person who I'm speaking with, but there's also three other people whose approval I have to get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, even just saying that, like I'm boo. So <laughs> I have, I have this much interest yeah, from that point of view. Yeah. yeah. I think you have a very good eye towards uh, where you want to go and you want to be happy in what you're doing. It's very quite clear, like the way you approach your messaging, the way you approach your content and uh, the way you want to create that impact. You do have something in your mind. I want to get to that now. So you are coaching all the coaches. What is the end goal here? What is the end game? What is that grander vision that you have for yourself? Hmm. The most rewarding things I get is when my clients come to me full of happy, grateful emotion based on the changes, transformations, and impact their clients have had. And there is nothing like that. There is truly nothing. Obviously, it's awesome when I'm working with someone and they come and they're like, they've made a leap, they've made growth. Yes, of course. That's great. And I have a, a relationship. I like, I believe in this person or else we wouldn't be working together. But then when that person comes to me and they're like, my client's done this. And, uh, you know, I had three people have these big breakthroughs last week. And this person I was working with found a job. And this one, like, it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. I was struggling for a while and I was working with a business mentor who was, everything was structured about financial goals and financial milestones. And it wasn't resonating. And I spoke with someone else. His name's Giovanni. He runs a really wonderful community called Archangel. And he said, what you're doing is collecting stories and you're collecting Mm. stories of the impact that you're having. And that's, what's going to motivate you. And I think about that regularly. So that's truly the end goal. I have hesitated from putting any number on it. Like I'm, you know, I'm collecting a million stories, but that's, that's what (laughs) the real, the drive is. And now that things are going incredibly well and, and I've worked with all these people now, it's now it's over 250 people and it's in 13 countries around the world. And 
now it's how do I get my message out further? And starting next year, I'm going to be mm. on stages. Starting next year, I've said yes to some speaking opportunities. I'm in a speaking competition in January called Speaker Slam in Toronto. There's some big things that are opening up because that will allow me to impact and touch so many more people uh, in a way that's currently and why not? You're charismatic. You're, you're charismatic. And why not? Why not speak on the stages? I think you'll be, you'll be great at it. And I don't okay. have any, any, uh, you know, shadow of the doubt that the value that you would bring in to the masses would be fantastic. And I, I look at you as next Gary or somebody who has a bigger mm. impact, not on the messaging, but on a bigger impact. <laughs> but, uh, what I, what I also want to attribute to, and you told me this, that the rave scene has helped you. And I want to go back to that a little bit because a lot of people shy away from diversity and inclusion and being part of uh, men who are not traditional rugged men uh, to the very fact that they would feel objectified that they I want to I don't want to be like some of the comments I would get is that I I don't mind people being gay I just don't want to be next to them or things like that so a lot of men feel uncomfortable being in this fluid environment where the gender expression is okay um, and I think in a way you told me that the rave has helped you to to get to that place where you are completely happy with yourself. So I want to talk about the transformation and I also want you to talk about how you think people should dip into their own power when they are in the diverse environment. Hmm. The environment I grew up in, my dad being in the army and being in military bases and surrounded by other kids where we didn't feel like there was much to do or many options. It really, and this is decades ago too, where it really was you, you know, you man up or you get beat up or people would use the word <laughs> man up or beat up. <laughs> really, that was the option, right? It really was that. And terrible things like the word faggot were used as an insult to anyone, like anyone who's sick. Like it's just mm. it, it's crazy to me that that was normal. But that's the bubble that I lived in and that was the world. And I found myself getting into fights just so, you know, I could like prove myself and then not get beat up myself. Like it was wild. So to go from that to utopian is the only way I can really describe it. Just it reaffirmed my belief in human nature and what is possible. And when we allow people to be themselves and express themselves and connect with themselves. So it made, that made a big impact on me. And then I, but I also saw it show up in my professional career and my second career when I was head of people in culture, I saw what happened when you created an environment where people truly feel they are comfortable to show up as themselves at work. Oh, fuck. The greatest compliment I have ever received in my entire life. I'm lucky enough to have received it twice from two different people at two different companies. And it was a version of, I've never been comfortable being out at work. Ah, You have created an environment here. I've got goosebumps. You've created an environment here where I feel comfortable expressing myself here and being out. It means so much to me. Two different people have said that to me. And the emotion in them when they said, like, I'm feeling it, <laughs> I'm feeling it now because it, it just, it meant, it meant so much. And then the last part, which the last company I worked at is a company called Blue Dot uses data analytics to track and predict the spread of infectious disease. I spent a lot of time with a lot of brilliant people, well-educated people, and I was exposed to this theory in biology that I was not previously aware of, but makes so much sense, which is the most, the most Diverse ecosystems are the ones that thrive. The most diverse ecosystems are the ones that come out on the other side after a crazy 
like threat or a forest fire or you know there's some outside thing that comes in and attacks it's always the more diverse ecosystems that thrive and survive i got goosebumps now <laughs> <laughs> i love it i wish i could uh, you know reach out through the screen and give you a big tight mm. hug for the person you are um uh, tell me what does outrageously me means to you what does outrageously sorry there was a gap there what is outrageously what sorry outrageously me the name of oh, the podcast yes. what is ah. outrageously me means ah. to you it's a great name for your podcast it ties a bow on everything that we've been talking about and it really is this unapologetic full color unfiltered version of who you are who you feel to be and what you want to show in the world with no apologies what does it mean to you mm it means being willing to talk about the things that i want to talk about not being afraid to show that i have emotions to show that sometimes i screw up to talk about my mistakes to be willing and able to show my strengths and power as a man but also my vulnerability and softness and not feel like i have to choose one or the other which i think is really unfair that we make people feel like they have to choose uh and just yeah that that i love music and love people and am forever learning and am not pretending to be perfect and i don't have much formal education i dropped out of high school and just like this is this is who i am uh and i accept myself so much that i don't care if other people don't accept me or not what is the biggest challenge you are working on in being yourself in what you do and the corporate or the other world telling you not to do be that or not be that or trying to direct you in a ways which is not truthful to you what is one challenge that you face mm. i have to dig this is one area that i've done so much work that there's i think there's there's one thing right now and it's more of the there was a a lot of noise and a lot of expectation and a lot of representation of hustle culture mm. because even like family expectations corporate ex- I've like I've worked through that I'm done that like <laughs> fuck off. like it's that <laughs> go bother someone else like I'm just so over that <laughs> that's that's old news and I'm building a business that is highly successful that is doing amazing things that is growing and has the potential to grow further and if i'm not careful it's easy for me to buy into this belief that it has to be hustle it has to be grind it has to be tough mm. it has to be insane hours and the past version of me that didn't fully love myself and was always seeking approval externally a great way to do that was to overwork and overwork and between mm. carrying that from old me and then the expectations and the the norms in the entrepreneur world it's easy for me to still fall into that but i've been working really hard at it i had a a big breakthrough in may with the family when we were in paris where i unplugged fully for the first time in a long time and i just had this realization that my priorities did not match my values my schedule did not match my values and i've made a big shift wow so but i'm still actively working on it and with my launch to this workshop you know the last couple of weeks like I, i pushed hard and it's an agreement i have with my partner that 
most of the time, you know, I'm unplugging for dinner. I'm not doing work on the weekends. There's just like, I, I'm in, engaged physically, mentally, and spiritually with my family and the people I love, not just there physically, but distracted with the exception that like once a quarter, I might be pushing towards something uh, because sometimes, yeah. you know, a deadline needs a bit of a push. Uh, and so I went into that push energy, but I switched out this time. And it's good because I've done this in the past in the last few years where I went into a launch, I pushed hard, I put in crazy hours, but that I didn't turn the switch off. And I've turned the switch off. Mm. So, But I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. Wow. wow. Yeah. So what are the three things you want to tell people who want to work on themselves? Because you made a career out of it. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is that the things you want, the goals you want to achieve, the freedom, because it's really, it's the feeling. People say like, I want this money. I want this partner. I want this title. It's That's not what you want. You want how you think you're going to feel when you achieve that. It's always that. Mm. The feelings that you want are on the other side of you being willing to do the deeper work, the harder work. You being willing and able to go see a therapist, to seek out a coach, to journal about it, to forgive others, to, to do that. And just the weight, the weight that is shed, the lightness that you can feel. Like these nice things you said to me in this conversation as far as like my energy and approachable and what it's just because I'm not carrying around a bunch of excess weight. That's all it is. <laughs> Don't carry excess baggage, just like airport. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I love that. I love that. So uh, what is your ideal clients for your workshop? For my work in general, my ideal clients are people that are damn good at what they do care about the people that they are serving and are doing the work for the impact that it has. And most of them, it's because they have been through difficult things at work, in relationships, in life, have had to do their own work, figure it out, learn and grow. And now they're at this place where like, this feels incredible. I want to help others. And those mm. are the people that I'm really meant to serve. They tend to be more creative, more empathetic, they're okay if I swear. Like, I'm passionate. I swear sometimes. If, if someone is offended by the odd swear word that we're not meant to work together, I have no judgment towards them, but there's probably someone else that's meant to serve them. Okay. Last question. What is one promise you want to give to people who want to come to your workshop? One promise that I want to give people if they want to come to that workshop that I'm actually, they're actually going to learn stuff. They're going to learn things that's applicable. The workshop starts right away with like, here's three posts that you could use right now that you could post today. And the fun thing is that I ran it live last week and I've been seeing people use it. It's been awesome to see people put it out there and actually use it. So there's applicable things. And then the main framework I have for creating content that attracts clients and not just clients, dream clients, clients that you love to serve. Like I give the framework away. There's, there's more to it, like how you apply it and how it works for you, but mm -hmm. I give, I give it. So there's a lot of actual giving in that workshop where I'm giving tools and giving things that can be applied right away. That's fantastic. I love all of that. I'm going to be putting in the comments of your contact information, your, uh, your, also your email ID and your link to your LinkedIn profile. Um, people go and say hi to Rob. He's a giver. Um, he's a fantastic person. Um, with this latest photo of him boxing, I do have a slight crush on him. I'm, I'm very open about it. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Rob Gilbert, this is fantastic conversation. Is there anything you want to add towards the end of this conversation? Is there anything that you feel like you want to say? Hmm. It's worth it. The things that we've been talking about, the things that have come up, like doing the work, doing the inventory, looking at your dark spots, it's worth it. It's worth it. Fantastic. I see people coming into your door. I think you're a busy man. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I love this conversation. So I'm going to be processing this uh, video. I, I don't think there's much to cut. I think it's, we are good to go as this. Uh, very, 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 <laughs> very, very open, vulnerable, and fantastic people. I think the energy has been amazing. I, this is not going to be the last time we're going to be talking to you. There's going to be more opportunities for us. I wish you all the best for the series of talks that's going to come next year. Um, you're going to be amazing. You bought a home recently. I know the mortgages are high, but you're going to be able to pay for it. <laughs> Thank you, Shri. With, with, with all the workshop that you've been carrying out. Thank you so much for your time today. Take care of yourself, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. It's been wonderful.